Millers, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Our good pastor, Mark, is out sick today. Uh, He wanted me to tell you that he tested positive for COVID earlier this week. He would want you to know that his symptoms are very mild, uh, that he is feeling well, but he is being cautious as he finishes his quarantine, and so he's watching online today with many others. So welcome to those of you who are online, and it is good to see you again, those of you here in the room. Before we begin, I would like you to turn in your scriptures, in your very own Bibles, to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going old school today. I do not have any notes for you, and I do not have any scriptures for you on the screen. We are going to go analog. We're going to go back to the basics here, but we will be going through a chunk of scripture where we have left off in our study in Nehemiah. So take the time to get your Bibles out, open your phones, type into the web browser, you know, Nehemiah chapter 4 and turn there. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray again for us as we begin our time in the scripture. God, we are grateful to you. We are grateful that you strengthen us with your very presence. I ask that your spirit would be strong within me, that you would communicate from your spirit within me, that you would calm my nerves and help me to speak clearly. I pray that that same spirit would protect us here in this room, protect us from distraction, help us to focus on what you have for us in Nehemiah chapter 4. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk today about overcoming resistance in your spiritual life. When God calls you to an intimacy with Him and we return or maintain that closeness, there will be resistance. And how to overcome that is our topic for today. Our context in Nehemiah, we've been in Ezra and now Nehemiah, and both of these books are set in the historical context of the Jews' return to Jerusalem from exile. It is set in the historical context of the return from exile, and our spiritual context is our return to intimacy with God. The Jews had a physical promised land. It was a very literal place. You can read this in the Old Testament. It had from this river to that river, around these boundaries, from here to there, a very physical, literal promised land. Our promised land is spiritual in nature. God calls us not to dwell in a physical location, but to dwell in Christ himself. Our protection is not found in a physical, literal wall. It is found in Christ himself. We do not find our identity in a delineation, a boundary between us and them, but we find our identity in Christ. And as we work towards this abiding in Christ, as we find the need to return to him, this work will be resisted. And that is where we find ourselves today, Nehemiah chapter 4, the resistance to the work on the wall, our resistance that we feel in our pursuit of God, and how Nehemiah overcame those. The Jews had a very physical promised land, and they had a very physical exile. Their exile was a physical removal from the promised land. They lived under a foreign king. 
Our exile also is more spiritual in nature, but we all know what it means to live in a spiritual exile, a dry and desolate place, a place where foreign thoughts or lusts or greed or selfishness rule over us when they were not intended to. Our spiritual exile, a time of being away, as we return, we can glean some Principles, looking at how Nehemiah overcame his resistance. This return to the promised land is what Ezra and Nehemiah are all about. And keeping the extended metaphor in mind when you read these histories enlivens them. It provides a place for you to see yourself in an ancient history. Our return from exile. Nehemiah has led a group back. They've begun work on the wall. Mark has pointed out several times in his his sermons on Nehemiah and Ezra that the wall represented identity. This is where our land stops. This is where out there begins. We are in here, in this city, behind these walls. This is who we are, right in the middle of the promised land. First, let's analyze the resistance. Because as uh, Nehemiah's work was so important, it was resisted. Make sure your spiritual life is worth resisting. The resistance came at a halfway point. Look with me at verse 6. All the wall was joined together to its half its height. That's when the resistance came. Not at the beginning. Starting is easy. It's the continuing that is hard. Remember the beginning, chapter 1, there was a big pep talk. Nehemiah gathered everybody together and he gave them a big pregame speech. And they all rallied. And they said, let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hand for the good work what it's like to start something, right? You start out very motivated. You start a diet. You start an exercise routine. You start a study. You start preparing a sermon. You start something, but it's halfway through. That's when the resistance came. As you return to God, as you start the rebuilding of your spiritual walk, the beginning will be filled with easy wins. You know, when I go to the gym for the first time after a long time, which is the only time I go to the gym, I always feel good. Immediately, there's a reward. After that fifth time, I hear, I don't know, because I don't get there. After that fifth or tenth time, it becomes less energizing right away. You have to have something to keep you going. This resistance started as mocking. Last week, towards the end of the sermon, Mark mentioned this. These feeble Jews, it says, a fox could knock over that wall. It starts as mocking. If you make it your aim to return to an intimacy with God, to maintain a closeness with Him, you will be mocked for it. The things of God are foolishness to this world. You should not expect to be highly esteemed and revered for your faith. You should expect to be jeered and mocked. 
Analyzing this resistance, let's see in verse 7 that it progresses from mocking to anger. Verse 7, but when Sanblot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. As we continue our walk with God, as we continue or you continue to rebuild your faith, others may become angry. This is worse for some. You know, there are cultures where to follow Christ, you're literally ostracized from your family. And even in our culture, some of you, I know, are from families where there's no place for Christ there. And your commitment to follow him, your return to intimacy with God is met with Anger. Some outright anger, some is more subtle. Perhaps you're not ostracized from your family or not invited back, but maybe there's a few more things that get planned on Sunday morning. Maybe your coworkers or friends plan things, just happens to be on the night of your small group. Little things, subtle, but bent out of an anger. People are angry maybe because you neglect time that you used to spend with them. Maybe they're angry because they feel convicted. You know, if you're among a group of people and you say, that's enough of that, I'm going to go over here and pursue my walk with God, they may feel convicted, which is a good thing. The right response to conviction is to follow along and renew their relationship. But oftentimes, the other response is anger. Who do you think you are? Why are you, you think, you think you're better than me? You're going to go off and have this time with God and leave me here? Regardless of the cause, anger often follows this mocking. Eventually, the enemy's anger turned to a plan for attack. Read with me in verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Notice the plan, to fight externally and to cause confusion internally. External might be that resentment from family and friends, but the internal is the true threat. This internal confusion plays out in the rest of this chapter and in the chapters to follow. We can see the true uh, craftiness of an attack that causes internal Confusion. Resistance came as the form of mocking, anger, and a plan for attack. This internal confusion can take the form of discouragement. Look at verse 10. In Judah, that was not the external, this was the internal. These were one of their own. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Friends, this is just straight discouragement. Straight from the bottle, no ice, no mixers. As you return to God, expect discouragement. It's too much. There's too much rubble. We can't do this by ourselves. This could come from those close to you, or it could come as your internal voice. Why are you doing this? Why would you get up so early? 
Why would you set aside part of your vacation for that? Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm being foolish. Why do I think I should follow this path? External and internal discouragement, the true resistance to your walk with Christ. Next, resistance came as bad advice from those who supposedly had their best interest in mind. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 is an interesting verse. It has the uh, translators and the commentators a little bit uh, confused. It's a confusing verse. Some of the translations and some of the commentaries, verse 12 reads like it's a warning. And in some of them, it, it reads like the Jews that are around them are uh, discouraging them. Regardless, they're telling them that the attack is coming, but their advice is poor. Let's read verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, that is near Jerusalem and near their enemies, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. There's resistance. There's an attack coming. What should you do about it? Run away. Come back out of Jerusalem. Discouragement and bad advice may come from those closest to you. Well-meaning parents, right? Just tone the Jesus thing down a little bit. You know, commitment to Christ is not highly valued in that field. Tone it down a little, huh? Bad advice from those closest to us. Finally, the resistance was a surprise attack. Look at verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. My daughters told me that in their Bible study, they have recently been exploring, investigating the tendency for resistance to follow a success for opposition to come after some spiritual victory. This tendency, I, I thought of too quickly, or my daughters reminded me of too. Right? When Moses led the people out of the promised land, this huge victory, they finally were free after hundreds of years in captivity, and immediately what? The desert, right? the trials. Jesus, in a similar fashion, has this amazing experience, his baptism, an audible confirmation of his nearness and closeness with the Father, and what? Immediately, the desert, the wilderness, the temptation. These resistance, it's no mistake. When you have a victory, you're most open. The enemy sees. You've just done something good. The enemy sees and wants to take that out. Spiritual high, a camp, a retreat, some sort of a commitment, some sort of breakthrough with your family, here comes the resistance, the surprise attack. Often, resistance will follow a victory. Be on your guard. We must realize that as we seek to return to God, we seek to rebuild the rubble of our spiritual life to maintain an intimacy with God. This work is important. And it is so important it will meet with resistance. This resistance will be in the form of mocking and taunting 
from without. It will be in the form of discouragement and confusion within, and it will likely be a sneak attack. Let's look at how Nehemiah overcame this resistance and learn how we too can overcome ours. Three principles. Remember, reinforce, and resume. Nehemiah remembered and led the people to remember the Lord. Look at verse 9. And we prayed to our God. In verse 14, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I love how things tie together. It is such a blessing to preach. When I preach, I get to spend time in the scripture. I get to set aside time. My family knows to leave me alone, and I just get to focus on Christ. And then I come, and I get to see the others who have set themselves aside to to sing. You are so blessed to have so many who set themselves aside to prepare our time together. And this morning, we were backstage. I like to hang out with the musicians. makes me feel cool, backstage and all. And uh, uh, they were praying, and... Uh, Travis prayed, and he was mentioning how he likes songs that draw our attention directly to God. Songs and singing are a great way to remember the Lord. What did we sing about? For the two songs before this sermon, we sang about remembering Jesus, you are unfailing. We hold on to every promise you have ever made. Great are you, Lord. We're praying, we're singing, we're reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. I liked in the first sermon on Nehemiah, uh, Mark drew our attention to Nehemiah praying and reminding God of his own character. Nehemiah reminded God of his own promises. Hey, God, don't forget you're faithful. Don't forget you promised to restore us. God doesn't need reminding but we sure do. These kinds of prayers remind us of the God who we serve, a God who is faithful, a God who is loving, a God who welcomes us and wants us to return. Don't take for granted that God wants you to come back. He is the father of the prodigal son watching for you and running down the road as you return to him. And some of us wear out that path from the pig pen to the father's house, and there he is again, welcoming you. There is No number of times you can be away. No far, no place too far that you can't come back. And God welcomes you. You need to remind yourself of that in the scripture, in your memory, in your writing, in your singing. We worship and serve a very good and strong and powerful God. Do not skip this part. You find yourself resisted, discouraged, put out, resisted. Don't skip this part. We're going to talk about practical things that Nehemiah does. We're going to talk about reinforcing our, um, our, our ability to withstand this kind of resistance. But don't skip the remembrance and prayer to God. And there's a lot of good things you can do after you pray. But if you do these things without prayer, they will fail. Your endurance, your willpower, your best plans, all the things we're going to talk about, they will fail if they are not empowered by the Spirit of God. Remember the Lord. Second, 
reinforce. Back in verse 9, it says, We prayed to our God and we set a guard. Do not neglect to pray, but don't just pray. Be on your watch. A surprise attack is more dangerous than one that is expected. Be on your guard. We have been told that these resistance, discouragement, confusion, distraction, fatigue, these are going to come. So be on your guard. Take practical steps. Nehemiah set a guard. He took practical steps. If you find yourself tired when you're reading the Scripture at night, try reading the Scripture in the morning. If you find yourself unalert in the morning, try reading at night or after your shower and coffee. Change the place where you are spending time in prayer, in worship, in reading. Change the place. There's no magic place. There's no place where God specifically meets, but there might be a less distracting place. Maybe the same desk where you work all day is not the right place. Try something else. Practical steps. You know, COVID has taught us if one thing, right, a new verb, social distance. That wasn't a verb that I remembered. You need to social distance. If somebody's got this active, ongoing expression, symptoms, they're coughing, they're hacking, they're sneezing, you're not going to run up to them. And give them a big old hug. I don't care what they have, right? You're going to keep your distance. Well, if somebody is bringing distraction and discouragement, you need to keep your distance. There's some people you need to disassociate with. There's some places you should not go. These are just practical steps that we take as we pray and remember God's strength for us. Don't walk naked into a fight Nehemiah stayed dressed. They had their weapons at their ready. You know, you don't pray, God, protect me against distraction. It's really important to me that I remain intimate with you and then walk out blindly into this world filled with resistance. Stay ready. Next, Nehemiah let everyone know that he was willing to fight. Look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. The wall is half built. You can see right over it. And in the lowest places, with the best view that the enemies could see right in, in the open spot, he put everybody manned up, you know, with their swords and their spears and their bows The enemy knew fight was going to be met with fight. He set the armed clans where they could be seen. He rallied the troops and he let those inside and outside know they were willing to fight for the promised land, even if it meant a battle. Your return to God, your individual return, your return as a family, your maintenance of your spiritual walk, resolve in your heart to fight against the mocking, to fight against the discouragement, the lies that you speak to yourself, to fight those with truth. Nehemiah called the people to work and fight together. They were to pass the night, the most dangerous time, together, 
inside Jerusalem. They had a plan to stick together. Look at verse 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. They had a plan to stick together. Don't go it alone. You know, we have small groups, we have youth groups, we have home groups, and the key word is groups. We're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to do it together. Do not be slow to sound the trumpet. In these groups, in your community, don't be slow to say, I need help. It's very easy to pray for the physical things. I need this new job. I've got this sickness. My mom's friend has this illness. Don't neglect to ask for prayer for the important work, your intimacy with God, resistance that you are feeling. Work and stay together. It is selfish not to sound the trumpet. Your spiritual walk is important to all of our spiritual walks. We do this together. We're healthy or not together. And if you're fighting on that side of the wall and you just go down because you didn't let anybody know you were hurting, that's selfish. You affect all of us. We need to rally to one another when we hear the trumpet. We need to be quick to sound the alarm just to ask for help. You know, uh, I know who I would ask. People in this room, if I was up against a physical fight. I'm a, I mean, look at me. I'm not going to win a physical fight. But I wouldn't mess with me. I know who's got the weapons. I know who's got the muscle. And I know who's got the warrior's heart. Who'd be there for me if I was up against a physical attack. That's the easy part. The spiritual resistance is the real deal. Who will be there for the spiritual fight? Let it be known that you'll be there to back up your brothers, to back up your fellow believers, right? Rally to each other. You know, uh, this imagery of this physical fighting, it's very masculine, right? It's very movie-oriented, right? This would be a good theme. Rallying the troops and paint your face and rush into battle, right? This is, makes good movies. The truth is, there's not a lot, in our culture anyway, of physical resistance to the spiritual life. We live in a place where we're free to do as we please. Mark pointed this out earlier. I mean, we live in a place that still incentivizes giving to this church, right? Like tax-wise, you're incentivized. We don't live in a place that is actively resistant, physically resistant to what we're doing this morning. I don't know a lot of families that are broken apart by physical assault, that are overwhelmed by physical attack. But I know a lot of families and a lot of churches and a lot of church leaders that succumb to these spiritual, these less physical attacks. 
please prepare, you know, for the physical. But spend as much time preparing for the spiritual, right? Don't go it alone. Have a plan to work together. So they remembered God. They reinforced and then they resumed the work. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. The goal is not to resist the enemy. The goal is the work. The goal is to continue your progress towards intimacy with God, towards enjoying the fullness of blessing and being a blessing with others. This promised land, the building of the wall, this is the goal. The enemy's goal was to stop the work. If you don't resume the work, they win. Notice how they continued. They continued the work with one hand and they held a weapon with the other. This is a famous passage from Nehemiah. The trowel in one hand and the sword in the other. What a great image. Our tendency is to do one or the other. We either focus on our work, on our spiritual life, with no acknowledgement that resistance will come, blind to the attacks of the enemy, or we put down our trowel and we fight with both hands. Fighting the enemy is not the goal. I have imagined with me, engage your imagination, a warrior... Maybe it's uh, Jackie Chan, right? He's got all these mad skills and the enemy keeps coming at him and he, he's got all his resources. He's got the nunchucks. He's got the roundhouse kick. He's got the sword. He's got everything he needs. And the movie plays out as a battle, attack, counterattack, thwarting, fighting. Next battle comes. It's, you know, Lord of the Rings. Battle after battle after battle after victory after victory after victory. It never ends. And finally, the warrior dies and God says to him, Builder, where is your wall? We need to be ready to overcome resistance. And we need to be ready to resume the work. Here's the irony. What is the best protection against the attacks that these enemies of Jerusalem were bringing? The best defense is the wall itself. Right? These swords and fighting and resistance, overcoming, all this was temporary measures until they got the wall completed. Then they would be safe behind the wall. Our best defense against this resistance isn't the swords and the fighting and the counterattacks. It's our identity in Christ. It's our security in Him. Once we have that built, we stay safely behind there, safe in our identity, in our closeness with God. Yes, be ready to fight off the attacks and resume the work. They resumed in earnest. Look at verse 21. So we labored at the work 
from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Resistance came and they doubled their efforts on the work. The resistance invigorated them. It spurred them on. Let resistance spur you on, not just to fight, but to work all the more. Resistance is an evidence that you are about the right stuff. Stay on the path. What have we talked about this morning? Let me conclude. What do I really want you to hear? I want you to hear that God wants you to return to him. That he loves you and he calls you back. That your spiritual life might be as the wall of rubble, burned up stones, it says. That he wants you to rebuild, renew your relationship with him. He is gracious to invite you back. I want you to hear that when you are returning to God, this is important work and it will be resisted. Remember God, reinforce your efforts, and resume the work. Let me pray for us. God, we are so blessed to have your spirit given to us. It is your spirit that is our true preparation. Like those who watched for the bridegroom to return, to be ready is to have oil in our lamp. To be ready is to have your spirit within us. When we have your spirit with us, we are prepared for any circumstance, for any opposition, for any resistance. God, I pray for the people here, for the people online, for all of us, God, that your spirit within us would empower our efforts, that we would be about the right things that we would overcome discouragement and doubt, and that we would not be easily moved from our determination to follow after you and your call in our lives. Father, we love you, and we want to live in nearness, to abide in closeness with you and with each other. And God, this is so important to us that we ask for your favor We ask for your protection. We ask for your help as we meet with resistance. Thank you for the lessons in Nehemiah chapter 4. We ask for your kindness to Pastor Mark and to others who are ill, that you would help them to recover quickly and to pass the boredom of quarantine well, that you would just strengthen them and let them know that uh, we care for them, that you care for them as well. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.